it's my joy to invite you to open a Bible to Psalm 136. 136th Psalm. If you'd like to use one of the red Bibles in the seats that are in front of you, you're welcome to do that as well. The, the text is located on pages 520 and 521 in the red Bibles. Psalm 136. As you turn to and your eyes begin to fall on this passage of Holy Scripture, you will quickly begin to discover why the ancient Hebrews called this chapter of the Bible the Great Thanksgiving. The Great Thanksgiving. The command to give thanks only appears four times over these verses and laid alongside a total of 26 verses that may not sound like an uh, overwhelming number of calls to express gratitude until you begin to see how this psalm hangs together. Yes, indeed, thanks, give thanks is only explicitly mentioned four times, but it's the way that the psalm concerns itself with the rationale for giving thanks more than the raw command to give thanks that's so impressive. This psalm offers, if you wouldn't imagine it, 26 different reasons for Godward gratitude. 26 reasons, but tonight we'll try to just boil them down to three. Okay? 26 reasons for Godward gratitude, but we will boil them down to three. Tonight we're going to learn from the, the great thanksgiving to give thanks to God in three movements. To thank God for his steadfast love in creation. To thank God for his steadfast love in judgment. And then to thank God for his steadfast love in redemption. So let's begin with the first of these three reasons for Godward gratitude. First of all, thank God for his steadfast love in creation. I'd like to read the first nine verses of this psalm as well as the last two verses. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. For, and the moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. In the end of the psalm, to him who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Yeah, amen. Let's first address and note what may be translation peculiarities depending upon what you have in front of you as far as an English version goes. The refrain in the translation that I just read for us spoke of God's steadfast love. Sometimes we see that word translated mercy in our Bibles. Sometimes it's loving kindness. I'm not sure that really any English translation 
adequately captures the punch of the original, and it's fun to say. So let's say this Hebrew word together. You ready? The word is chesed. So say do that, and then said, chesed, okay? Chesed, excellent. Notice that the word has a, a tough and a tender aspect to it, doesn't it? It is rough and coarse on the front end, and it's gentle and smooth on the back end. And in that regard, steadfast love may be the best translation we've got for this word. Um, it's a great example of onomatopoeia, where the, the very sound of a word is suggestive of its meaning. God's love is steadfast love. God's chesed is both rugged and regal. God's steadfast love is overwhelming and it's unassuming. God's chesed is both stable and sensitive. It is timeless as well as timely. We've already read it 11 times so far. God's chesed endures forever. His steadfast love. Now this psalm is called the great thanksgiving. So notice in these verses, um, we read the four commands to give thanks. And those four commands to give thanks are tightly connected in each case to a particular aspect of who God is or what he's done. So verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So when scripture summons us to gratitude, it is never timid about offering us explicit justification for why. In Psalm 136, in my own Bible, just to help me get better at discerning reasons why to praise God, I just wrote why after every verse in the margin. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. See what the psalmist is doing? He's, he's building an argument. He's doing his level best to leave us with absolutely no excuse in failing to thank God. God is good. God is worthy of approval. And why is he good? Why is he worthy of approval? Because his steadfast love endures forever. That's what the four is for. So give thanks to the Lord for he is good because his steadfast love endures forever. And you can walk through the entire psalm that way. You note motive after motive, occasion after occasion, ground after ground for giving thanks to God for his chesed endures forever. His steadfast love is eternal. Now, if you were to break it down, about a third of this psalm is given over to helping us go Godward with our gratitude for God's steadfast love in creation. God loves this world. You know one way we know? His constant work as its creator and its caretaker. These verses remind us, lest we forget, of his steadfast love in creation. The Son, verse 8. When's the last time you thanked him for that? The moon, verse 9. The stars, verse 9. Our food, verse 25. And to these we could add the rain in the spring, the walleye on fishing opener, the Vikings on the field, maybe not this afternoon, but this season. The wood in your fireplace this winter, 
and the pies in Fellowship Hall this instant. Why does God provide us with all this? Because of his hesed, for his steadfast love endures forever. Thank God for his steadfast love in creation. The psalm offers 26 reasons for Godward gratitude, and we're just boiling down to three tonight. The, the first one is his steadfast love in creation, but the second move that this psalm makes is this one. Thank God for his steadfast love in judgment. Thank God for his steadfast love in judgment. In Psalm 136, the psalmist doesn't just affirm the judgment of God. He admires the judgment of God. The explicit judgment texts in this psalm are verse 10, verse 15, and then verses 17 to 20. And notice that in each case, the judgment of God doesn't simply dangle aloof from this psalm unconnected with the broader argument. Start in verse 3. Verse 3 declares, Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Now drop down to verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. You see that? The to him of verse 10 is rooted in the give thanks to the Lord of lords in verse 3. Everybody see that connection? The psalmist is summoning his readers to thank God for his righteous judgment. He struck down the firstborn in Egypt 3,000 years ago. And not only does the writer thank God for this act, he goes so far as to link the judgment of God in such a way that it's inseparable from the love of God. So verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords, verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And why? For his steadfast love endures forever. It's jarring, isn't it? Same line of reasoning is present starting in verse 3, then when you drop down to verse 15. So verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Verse 15, who overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. Why? For his steadfast love endures forever. And then the final section of judgment in the psalm is verses 17 to 20. So one last time, starting in verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Verse 17, who struck down the great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. The logic of these verses is persistent and it is unyielding. The readers of this psalm are being called to thank God for his steadfast love in judgment. Now, what does that mean? Let's deal with the question in two parts. First, we ought to thank God that he is a God of justice. Not only is he a God of justice, but a God of absolute power. Um, theologian Wayne Grudem has a helpful angle on this as he writes the following. It should be a cause for thanksgiving and gratitude when we realize that righteousness and omnipotence are both possessed by God. If he were a God of perfect righteousness without power to carry out that righteousness, he would not be worthy of our worship because we would have no guarantee that justice would ultimately prevail in the universe. 
But if he were a God of unlimited power, yet without righteousness in his character, how unthinkably horrible the universe would be. There would be unrighteousness at the center of all existence, and there would be nothing anyone could do to change it. In the world in which we live, knowledge of the God that we have is an unspeakable comfort. Let's thank God for who he is. Now, what about steadfast love in judgment? What does that mean? I think it means that every one of God's attributes are tempered by all the other attributes. So God's mercy is a wise mercy. God's patience is a jealous patience. God's love is shot through with justice. And yes, it works the other way around. God's justice is pulsing with love. As we grapple with the twin concerns of extending care toward thousands of Syrian refugees on the one hand and appropriately protecting and defending our country on the other, don't we stand in need of that? Love, justice. This interwoven multi-perspectival understanding of the character of God is relevant. So God is love and vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. Thank God for his steadfast love in judgment. One final point tonight. Thank God for his steadfast love in redemption. Thank God for his steadfast love in redemption. Follow along with me one more time. Read the verses of the psalm we haven't read yet. We root the call to thanksgiving in verse 3, and then we connect that call to God's mighty acts of redemption that are laced throughout this psalm. So verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords, verse 11, to him who brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 16. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verses 21 and 22. To him who gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. So verses 11 to 14, then 16, then 21 and 22, don't they contain the dramatic summary of God's love for the Hebrews, his own unique covenant people, Israel. And if any people in the history of the world has known the steadfast love of God in redemption, it would have to be this ancient covenant people. And yet, it seems to me that verses 23 and 24 deserve special mention. That's why I've set them apart in our sermon outline. Verses 23 and 24 contain four words that bring this psalm home to the immediate reader. You see it? Those words are us and our. 
verses 23 and 24. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. And who but the followers of Jesus, the redeemed of God in Christ, can honestly pray those truths without crossing their fingers. Only followers of Jesus. Samuel Rutherford, the Puritan, is someone who spoke so beautifully about his gratitude for his salvation in Christ. And as he uh, was under house arrest in Scotland, he wrote to the dear ones in his congregation these lines. If Christ's love were laid open to me as I would wish, oh, how I would drink and drink abundantly, and how drunken would this my soul be. And he's thinking about the absence of Christ from this earth in body. He says, I half call his absence cruel. I I dare not challenge himself, but his absence is a mountain of iron upon my heavy heart. You ever felt that way about the return of Jesus? And he says, oh, when shall we meet? How long till the dawning of the marriage day? I love this. Oh, sweet Jesus, take wide steps. Oh, my Lord, come over the mountains in one stride. Oh, if I could wear this tongue to the stump in extolling his highness. I charge you, help me to praise him. And then this phrase, learn both daily to both possess and miss Christ. That's what the Christian life is all about. Learn daily to both possess and miss Christ. And now he finishes, Oh, that we could breathe out new hope and new submission every day into Christ's lap. May we plan and dance and leap upon our worthy and immovable rock. Oh, how oft do I let my grips go. Lodge Christ in your heart this very day. Who honestly but the followers of Jesus, the redeemed of God in Christ, can pray verses 23 and 24 without crossing their fingers? Can I get a witness here tonight? Thank God for his steadfast love and redemption. Well, one more dead guy we can quote here. Charles Simeon. His steadfast love endures forever, right? 26 times in one psalm. He asks the question, is this vain repetition? I mean, Jesus tells us not to pray vain repetition. This is not vain repetition, Simeon concludes. Nor can any verse contain more weighty matter or more worthy thus to be repeated. For God's chesed endureth forever and the repetition of it 26 times. This psalm offers us 26 reasons for Godward gratitude. For our purposes, we just boil them down to three. Thank God for his steadfast love in creation. Thank God for his steadfast love in judgment. Thank God for his steadfast love in redemption. 
uniquely through his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.